This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. the mom room podcast my name is renee rena and i am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted welcome to another episode with my husband yes you guys get to hear his silky smooth voice yet again this is the episode so many of you have been waiting for not only to hear my husband's voice but also because of the topic today we are talking about incontinence and the amount of questions that poured in over Instagram when I posted the question sticker was unbelievable. We cover it all in this episode, so get ready to take some notes, send it to a friend if you know that they're experiencing incontinence, because that is the point of this episode. We want to normalize having conversations about incontinence, being open about it, sharing about it, taking away the embarrassment and the shame. This episode is sponsored by Tenna. All opinions and recommendations are those of Dr. Pre, my husband. Tenna is not offering medical advice. And of course, at the end of the day, you must consult your own doctor. So without further ado, let's welcome the man with the silky voice back to the Mom Room podcast. Welcome everybody to Tuesday's episode. Today I am speaking with my husband again. He's like a regular on the podcast. And actually, I was thinking about it today. Before I had Milo, I never really thought it would be so cool to be married to a urologist. But now that I've had a child and like I've experienced incontinence and like friends have come to me even with, you know, asking questions about like circumcision and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're just so needed in the mom community. So, so welcome you back. Think it was cool to be married to me when you married me? Not really. I just didn't know how like, oh, okay. That's nice. how important like your wealth of knowledge would be. Let's say that. So (laughs) he is back. We're not recording in person. He's actually at work doing this on his lunch hour. So thank you for that. First, I'll just say that the Mom Room podcast is partnering with 
Tenna. They are a leader in incontinence solutions products, and they want to help support new moms by creating a space for vulnerable conversations. And what better place to do that than the Mom Room podcast? So I am honored that they have chosen me to have this conversation. I've been wanting to do an episode about incontinence for so long because, again, it's one of these things that nobody talks about in public, but also within families and friends. And they make a joke about it. It's like, oh, like, I remember I posted a video not too long ago of my mom jumping on that rebounder thing. It's like a little mini trampoline. (laughs) And so many people were like, oh my God, she's brave. I could never do that. And it's just kind of like this... I don't know. It's just people just kind of brush it off like, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. But we are going to answer your questions that you submitted. And hopefully this is a super educational episode for everyone. I'm hoping that you will share it with your friends who have maybe had kids or are dealing with incontinence. And also, I just want to destigmatize incontinence and what happens to women's bodies in postpartum. So I'll give a little introduction to my husband, even though most of you already know who he is. He graduated from McMaster University in 2010, following a degree in kinesiology. Babe, you wrote this little introduction for yourself. And I was like, oh, I'm like learning about my husband. (laughs) Like, I don't think I realized that you had a degree in kinesiology. Like, look at you. Oh, my God. So, yes, then he completed his residency in urology at the University of Ottawa in 2015. And while you were in your residency, that's when you met me, right? I know. It's gone downhill from there. (laughs) Yeah, right. So since 2019, he has been a practicing urologist and runs his own... 2015. Oh, since 2015? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. So he focuses on endourology, minimally invasive surgery, and urologic oncology. So yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast again and sharing your knowledge on your lunch hour. I was kind of forced to really have a choice. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. So the first thing we just wanted to go over was what the prevalence of incontinence is. Because again, it's one of these things that people don't really talk about. And one of those things that if someone's experiencing it, they assume that nobody else is going through it. So what is the prevalence? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's actually kind of a challenging thing to really determine because, you know, as you said, some people deal with this, but they're not really bringing it up with their family doctors or or physicians. So it's not really, it's not always noted as to when people are having these issues. Some people, you know, have a, a small leak every now and then. It's the end of the world. Some people are leaking every day, and there's and they don't bring it up because it's you know. They, they consider it to be normal. So it kind of varies with age, but you know, upwards of 20 to 30% of women at some point in their lives will, will describe some degree of leakage. That can either be a couple of drops when you're coughing, laughing, sneezing, or it could be you know, like full bladder emptying at times. So it's, it's kind of variable. But, but that's sort of the numbers that you know, when, I, 
when I speak to patients, I kind of quote them uh, 20 or 30% prevalence. There's different types of incontinence. So, you know, the most common ones that we deal with are stress incontinence. So that's kind of when patients are laughing, coughing, sneezing, anything to do with exercise. So any activity where you're kind of increasing the pressure in your abdomen, like it puts pressure on your bladder, it to adjust the position of the bladder so it straightens out the urethra and sometimes you can leak if you have weakness in your pelvic floor muscles. Of the 20 to 30% prevalence, it's about 50% of the patients who experience stress incontinence solely. Another type of incontinence called urgency incontinence. That's when patients have a strong urge to void and can't control it because that that strength of contraction of the bladder kind of overwhelms your your ability to to contain it. That's about fifteen percent of of those patients, and about thirty five percent have a mixed picture. So so stress and urgency incontinence combined. Those are kind of the numbers that I that I quote patients when I when I speak to them. So with regard to postpartum, is it mostly stress incontinence? The majority of patients that I that I see who you know have had recent deliveries or you know in the last couple of years, majority would be would be stress incontinence. Yeah. So now we'll talk a little bit about why incontinence happens in pregnancy and then also in postpartum because I'm sure lots of people don't even understand why it's happening. So I mean, it, it, during pregnancy itself, a lot of the issues can be related to the the uterus, and as the as the fetus is growing and the uterus is getting bigger, it's putting more pressure in the bladder. So you have to look at, you know, the, in terms of the pelvic organs, you've got the the uterus, the bladder, and the rectum. Everything is in a very in a relatively small confined space. So any increase in the size of any of those organs will put pressure on the others, right? So whether that's a uterus that has a fetus in it or a uterus that has large fibroids that can put pressure on the bladder. That can also put pressure on the pelvic floor muscles and the nerves in the, pel- in the pelvis, specifically the pudendal nerve. So that can all have effects on, on your continence. With respect to the types of incontinence during pregnancy, I mean, certainly urgency incontinence can be one of them. The pressure that the uterus is placing on the bladder reduces the the sort of capacity of the of the volume of the of the bladder, and it's also the pressure itself can induce these contractions of the bladder. So that can those two factors can kind of lead to urgency incontinence. So I have a question. So in pregnancy, you can have like let's say ten pregnant women, but some will have incontinence and some won't. So is it because of maybe where things are located specifically in their body or where the pressure is being put and yeah exactly i mean and also pelvis the size of the pelvis right i mean everyone's a little bit different in terms of their size so it's going to it's going to have varying impacts in terms of how extensive the issue is right like how how much you're affected by it is due to your anatomy and the the size of the of the fetus and and that sort of thing so for me Every time I saw a doctor when I was pregnant, they were like, oh, you're so lucky because you're so tall. So it like, there's more room for everything. Yeah, it's sort of grow up instead of in and out, right? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, and so is there anything else for pregnancy or are we on to postpartum now? So, like I said, that that was the urgency component of it. The other component is, is stress incontinence during pregnancy, pressure on the pelvic floor muscles, pudendal nerve, all that can have impacts on 
sort of the, the strength of your sphincter contraction, which, which controls your urination, and also the position of the bladder. So um, it can create hypermobility in the bladder and the urethra, and that can lead to stress incontinence. You have to think of you know, your control mechanism or, or your sphincter complex for, for urinary control for women is, is kind of like a hammock. So you got the urethra going right down the middle, and then your pelvic floor muscles going underneath the urethra. And that support of the pelvic floor muscles in the urethra allows for continence, right? So if you have any impairment to those pelvic floor muscles and their ability to contract or their strength, then you're going to have less of an ability to control that, that urination. So there's other other factors as well. I mean, there's hormone factors. So progesterone, another hormone called relaxin, which is at a higher release at a higher rate during pregnancy, can have an impact on smooth muscle contraction, and so that can also affect control of the sphincter and the the muscles inside the bladder itself and the urethra, and that can also have an impact on cause or lead to issues with incontinence. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein, I'm looking at sugar content, and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. 
biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. And I feel like incontinence in postpartum is probably more common than in pregnancy. And let's talk vaginal birth first. So, I mean, vaginal birth is, is a huge trauma to those pelvic floor muscles, right? So even if you have a, c- a C-section after you've been in labor for a while or you deliver vaginally, that's going to put significant pressure on those pelvic floor muscles. It's going to have an Im- impacts on, on the pudendal nerve as well. Things like prolonged labor, a large baby, tears during delivery, all of those will have negative impacts on your pelvic floor muscles, and that can lead to stress incontinence, which is kind of the predominant type of incontinence after in the postpartum period. And so one question, why does it happen in some women and then not in others in postpartum? So again, I mean, it's, it's really, it's very patient specific. So in terms of the type of delivery, the number of deliveries you've had in the past, the duration of labor, tears, you know, the size of the baby coming through, position of the baby coming through, whether it's, you know, breach or not, all those factors can can lead to varying degrees of impact on your pelvic floor muscles. So it's, it's very specific to each patient. So now we're going to get into questions from listeners. So I put up a sticker on my Instagram stories a while back and we had a ton. Like when I tell you there was a ton... Like there was a ton of questions. So what Not we did... everything was related to this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, people like to throw things in there. But anyways, so we kind of put the most common questions together and made this little outline so that we could cover as much information as possible. And so the first thing that I wanted to point out and I thought we could talk about was the difference between something being normal and something being common. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is that I feel like people assume that it's normal and there's nothing that you can do. And by calling it normal, like it's not normal. It's something that's common. It happens in a lot of people, but it's not normal. So can we talk a little bit about that? And then also what people can do, even like pre-pregnancy or during pregnancy. Like I remember when I was pregnant with Milo, the only reason I went and saw a pelvic floor physio, because I had never even really knew that that was a thing, but 
Lindsay, my friend in Sudbury, owns a physio and Cairo clinic. And she was having this event one night and I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And she had a pelvic floor physiotherapist give a presentation and my mind was blown. And so I started seeing her in pregnancy, which I think like really was helpful. And then obviously I saw one in postpartum. So can we talk a little bit about how it's not normal, it is common, and maybe a little bit about pelvic floor physical therapy, like, and when should women be starting that? It's a relatively common thing to have some leakage during pregnancy and afterwards. This whole idea of normal versus abnormal is kind of, you know, a very philosophical discussion here. But I mean, any degree of leakage, you know, relative to everyone else in the population is not not normal. So I, I think it's, you know, accepting that it's something that you, you can help, you know, either proactively during your pregnancy or before and sort of reactively afterwards. You know, as I said, it's, it's a relatively common thing, but it, it's not something that you necessarily have to live with after you've, after you've given birth. And also, I feel like it's something that limits people, embarrasses people, makes people feel shame, which is why people don't necessarily talk about it. But if you are experiencing it, and let's say you're like listening to this podcast, and you're like, oh, I'm going to make an appointment with a pelvic floor physio, or I'm going to, you know, ask my doctor to be referred to a urologist. In the meantime, there are products that you can use so that you're not having to be uncomfortable during the day. You're not having to limit what you're doing, like you can jump on the rebounder like my mom did. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to mention that Tenna does have incredible products, some that you can wear during the day that literally look and feel just like underwear that will keep you dry. Yeah, I remember buying those for you. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Like I wore those in postpartum for a long time. And yeah, super comfortable. They have nighttime options. And so it's just about being confident during the day and not letting it completely like derail things that you want to do, whether it's like physical activity or they were wondering if it will last forever. So I'm assuming these are women who are experiencing incontinence relatively shortly after giving birth. So is it going to last forever? And when do you seek help? You know, for a very small percentage of patients, you know, who are experiencing incontinence immediately after pregnancy, they may have long-lasting incontinence following that. And really, you know, just like any other medical medical issue, the sort of the need or the desire to see someone about it and get it treated really is determined by the degree of bother for that individual patient, right? As I said before, some people can be leaking all the time and they have no problem with it or they think it's normal and so they they don't get anything done. Whereas other people are, you know, have a small amount of leakage very occasionally and it's the end of the world. That's and me. That's when you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it really depends on on the degree of bother for that specific patient, right? And, and we, uh, you know, in the number of patients that I see with this type of issue, I mean, it's, it's the, the whole spectrum in terms of degree of bother. So, I mean, in terms of when to seek help, you know, certainly if you're, if you're having issues that are lasting 
post postpartum, seeing your family doctor or you know looking to see a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist would be good options to start. But but I think you know as physicians and as healthcare professionals, you also have to make it sort of a safe space to be able to seek that help. Right. Sometimes patients don't have that opportunity. You know, they don't have a family doctor. You know, some family doctors don't really want to deal with this, or or, or you know want to refer. And some some specialists don't specifically deal with this issue either. So it can sometimes be a bit of a hard time navigating the system to get help with this. So yeah, like most female issues. But anyways, well, I mean male issues too. But come on. Yeah, I suppose. I'll just say for me, incontinence, I did not experience it until 18 months postpartum. And I, I remember, I will never forget when it first happened. You were at work. It was during quarantine, like during the pandemic. And I was making a TikTok dance with Milo in the kitchen. And <laughs> as I was like jumping around... I think I had to go pee. Like whenever I've experienced it, it's been like my bladder is full and I'm holding it and then something happens and then I leak. It was like either I would sneeze or like jump like to do a dance or something. But for me, it didn't last. I obviously was doing pelvic floor stuff before and after pregnancy, which I think helped. But yeah, for me, it was like my degree of discomfort for like very minimal leaking was very high. And so I, you know, sought out help like right away. Okay. So what does it mean when you go pee, but then almost immediately feel like you have to go pee again? Like this is the story of my life. The term we use for that is something called double voiding. So you pee, you still have the sensation you need to go, and then you, you pee again. Oftentimes, it can be associated with something called overactive bladder. So where your bladder is sort of, it wants to contract even with smaller amounts of urine. And when it does contract, it may not be efficient in terms of completely emptying itself. It also can be related to incomplete bladder emptying. So you're not completely emptying your bladder when you go pee the first time. And that small amount there is still, you know, is still giving you that sensation or urge to go. When we're trying to delineate sort of what the what the difference is, it's always good to ask about other symptoms like urinary urgency, nocturia, or waking up at night to urinate. Uh, the number of times patients are voiding during the day, and oftentimes it's good to uh, obtain some imaging. Either do that with like a formal pelvic ultrasound or something called a, a bladder scan, where you basically assess after a patient's peed how much of urine volume is still left in there to determine if there's any um, any retention. The next question is, can constipation or bloating from IBS contribute to incontinence? I always wonder this too, because I struggle with constipation. Directly attributing it is, is a bit challenging. But certainly, you know, from an anatomical perspective, your, your rectum sits directly behind your bladder and the pelvis. If you have a full rectum of full of, a rectum that's full of stool, I mean certainly that's going to put pressure on the bladder as well, just like just like a uterus would. I mean, it certainly could lead to some overactivity, mainly like urgency incontinence. So that would be the main sort of mechanism for that. At the same time, if your if your pelvic floor muscles are really contracted, trying to hold in all that stool, you know that can also have detrimental effects on your bladder control. Like, you know the feeling when you have to go pee? Like, it's weird because I'm not 
a man. So I don't understand like what you feel versus what I feel when I have to go pee. But is that what urgency means? If you got to go, you got to go. Like 90% of the day, I have that feeling like I could go. Like I could go sit on the toilet and like probably get pee out like at any time. So that's what urgency means? Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Somebody asked about pelvic floor physio. I'll just go over this quickly. So it says, when should someone start? I think it's super helpful to go at any time just to learn. And I will explain what that visit is like in case you're wondering, because I don't think a lot of people know. You will meet the pelvic floor physio. Maybe some do consultations first before they do the actual internal exam. It's an internal exam. So what I was fascinated by is that they will help you do, (laughs) yes, they will get in there. They will help you do a Kegel properly. So they're going to have their hand literally inside of you or like fingers pressing on the specific muscles on the inside of your, like what's the proper anatomy term, like vaginal wall or... In, in the vagina, yeah. In the vagina, okay. And so <laughs> I just don't want to say the wrong word. And so <laughs> they will press on, like they will ask you to flex and like do Kegels while their finger is inside pressing on these certain muscles. And they will be able to tell you whether the muscles are weak, whether they are like too tense. And in my situation, it was that I am constantly like in a tense, like I'm what's hypertonic, hypertonic. Yeah. And so I think oftentimes, and this is the next question that I'll let you answer, but I think a lot of people assume that they have weak muscles when they leak. And that's not always the case for me. It was like, I am over tensing them all the time. And then as soon as there's any pressure, they're so weak that they can't like do anything. It's like, I remember talking to a girl a while back and she gave the example of like, if you're carrying grocery bags that are super, super heavy and your bicep is like constantly tensed. And then if you go to try and use your bicep, it's like, it fails because it's so overworked. I would say you should start as soon as possible. Just go see one, learn about your body, learn whether you're hypertonic, whether you're weak, they'll teach you how to do a Kegel properly. So yeah, I would say just get on it right away. Yeah. I think you have to look at pregnancy as like, it's a huge stress, right? It's a stress on your body. And so making sure that you're, you know, as ready for it as possible, whether it's with exercise, pelvic floor physio, you know, I think that's going to be helpful in in being proactive uh, in terms of controlling it, right? Yeah. Work out your core, work out your lower back, work out your upper back. Like these are things that people don't talk about. And like my sister just had her baby in June and she can't believe how sore her back is. I was like, why are people not talking about how much you should like strengthen certain muscles before having a kid. And the other thing is, you know, we talked about the fact that there's, it's kind of mixed incontinence that can, that can happen during pregnancy. You know, typically for patients who have the urgency component of it, they're not pregnant. We're looking at potentially starting medications and things, trying to relax the bladder. It's never it was never a great idea to do that during pregnancy. And so, you know, you have to look at pelvic floor exercises as sort of the mainstay of, of treatment during 
pregnancy. And so if you do that ahead of it, you're, you're going to be you know, setting yourself up for success there. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So let's talk a little bit about pelvic floor weakness versus hypertonic and how both can lead to incontinence. I kind of went over it with like layman's terms, but go ahead. I mean, weakness, you know, as I said before, the the pelvic floor muscles are a component of your your sphincter complex, your your control mechanism for urination. If you have weak pelvic floor muscles, you're not going to have that same contraction and sort of pull up on the urethra when you're when you're doing any type of strenuous activity. So weak pelvic floor muscles certainly lead to urgency or um, stress incontinence rather. Hypertonic pelvic floor muscles, so when your pelvic floor muscles are tight all the time, that can also secondarily lead to weakness because they're always tight and then you you lose that contraction over time. At the same time, it also can have impacts on your ability to empty your bladder. So if it's really tight, it's going to kind of constrict your urethra a bit. And that the long-term issues in terms of having difficulties emptying can have lead to overactivity of your bladder. So your bladder wants to contract more frequently with more force to try and empty against this, this pressure that's being exerted by your pelvic floor muscles. So it can lead to, to both, right? So if Stress incontinence due to weak pelvic floor muscles and urgency incontinence typically with um, hypertonic or overactive pelvic floor. I'm going to skip the next question because we already kind of talked about like the steps that you would take to get help. So family doctor, pelvic floor physio. I think it also depends on where you live, right? So I mean, in Canada, our system is based on, you know, being referred to you know, specialists from your family doctor, typically. So you kind of have to see a primary care physician like that first and then get referred to a, a specialist. It's just the way that funding and payment models work. If you're in the U.S. or places where they have, where they have public or private health care, you know, oftentimes you can just self-refer for issues. Whether, you know, we won't get into the pros and cons of that, but <laughs> it's, that's You know me, I, I would be self-referring like... You know, you'd be every seeing week. you'd be seeing every person. Broke, so, uh, okay, is there a way to tell whether someone would need surgery versus just physiotherapy? Yeah, so I mean, you know, some patients who have you know significant leakage can benefit from pelvic floor physio and sort of get to the point where they're comfortable or even completely dry. Some patients who have relatively minor leakage can't get improvement when they are using conservative measures like that. So, I mean, I think the important things just from sort of basics, when I see patients who are taking a history, physical, kind of determining the type of incontinence they have, the degree of incontinence they have. And then, you know, if there's any sort of red flags to any other abnormalities, you know, things like fistulas and things like that, which can happen 
during or as a result of labor. They're pretty uncommon, especially in North America, but they but they do do happen. So you want to look into sort of red flags for that. So patients who have continuous incontinence, for example, like there's there's no rhyme or reason as to why they're leaking. They're kind of leaking small or large amounts all the time without you know, even any um, any activity, those patients would need sort of other investigations, things like urodynamic testing, which is looking at the pressures developed in your bladder as it's contracting or as it's filling in contracting, I should say, and also cystoscopy, where we kind of look inside the bladder. It's a little scope procedure to assess the health of the bladder. We often try conservative measures first as a starting point. So things like timed voiding, reducing your fluid intake, pelvic floor exercises, Kegel exercises that anyone can do, or you know, getting a formal pelvic floor physiotherapy assessment and, and treatment. If those fail, or you know, patients can't do it for whatever reason, you know, the degree of incontinence is is so severe that it's not going to be beneficial or it hasn't been beneficial. And typically that's when we make the the decision to move towards surgery. What does the surgery do? Or is it depending on the issue? Surgery in these situations is specifically for stress incontinence or patients who have stress incontinence predominance if there's if there's mixed incontinence. And essentially there's there's different types of surgery. The general idea behind these procedures is to place something in the pelvic floor where those muscles are, but have lost strength to give you support that's been lost, right? There's various methods of doing it. The methods that we're currently using most often are mesh procedures where you place a proline mesh underneath the urethra. It's a vaginal incision that's typically made there. It's a relatively quick operation. It's only about 15, 20 minutes in the operating room. I mean, it's a relatively big procedure in terms of of recovery and things like that afterwards. You don't want to do too much too soon, but the actual procedure itself is is not that involved. And it's a it's an outpatient thing. You know, some people do it under complete anesthesia or general anesthesia. Some people do it under sedation, some even under local anesthetic. It just depends on where you go. But essentially, like I said, we're putting we're putting a mesh underneath the urethra that creates kind of an inflammatory response and gives you this support that's been lost. There have been some issues in terms of mesh complications and things that have been widely reported in the media. Not as much for this type of use of the mesh, more for patients who have had prolapse issues where they're using large amounts of mesh in the in the pelvis but you know if some, somebody has had issues with that before or just doesn't want this foreign body inside then there's another procedure called a, a pubovaginal sling where we kind of use the lining of your abdominal muscles to create the sling instead of a mesh so a little bit of a discussion about kegels and that commitment is key just like any other exercise so Yeah. And the fact that just like any other muscle that you're working out, if you, you know, really work it out for six months and then you stop for two years, like you're going to lose what you built up. Or you don't do it enough, right? I mean, you would be surprised how many people come in here to my office who, you know, they were told about Kegels. They've tried them for like a month and not even consistently. And, you know, the whole thing is the Kegels haven't been effective. You know, so, you know, it's making sure you're, you're doing them and also doing them correctly. So that's where, you know, things like an, an instruction come into play, whether that's seeing a pelvic floor physio or, you know, even looking at, 
you know, things on YouTube or online as to being able to isolate those muscles properly. You want to make sure that you're doing it correctly, not just, you know, doing it for the sake of doing it. Okay. I just want to say that when I went and did my Kegels with a pelvic floor physio, she said that I had almost like Olympic strength, like Kegel. She could not believe how strong my pelvic floor was. I've never heard of Olympic Kegeling before. Is that like some new sport? I don't know, but I should, I should figure, (laughs) I should find out because I could get a gold medal anyways. Okay. So one question, oh, this is a great question. And this happens to me all the time. And it's embarrassing because I'll be like, oh my God, I have to pee so bad. I have to pee so bad. And then I finally get into a washroom. And if it's like a public washroom and I'm with like my mom (laughs) or my sister or something, and they're like, I thought you had to pee so bad, but it won't come out. So why is it hard to pee after you've been holding it in for so long? Well, I mean, that can be due to a number of things, right? So you're holding it in if you feel like you need to go, but you can't. And you're tensing your pelvic floor muscles. And, you know, as I said before, that tension around the urethra can cause a bit of of an obstruction. And that can have impacts there. At the same time, if your bladder is really overfilled and and stretched, it's not really in the right position to contract. And it has less force to contract. Oh, I hate that. And it takes a while. Like, I'll sit there and it's like silent. And I'm like, okay, like you thought you were going to pee your pants and now it's not coming out. At least you didn't pee your pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay. So, in the meantime, I just want to reiterate people who don't want to see a physio, maybe you don't want to be referred to a surgeon, but you're experiencing incontinence, or maybe it's going to take you some time to get in to see somebody. Tenna does have products that will help you stay comfortable during the day. Also at night, they keep you dry. They keep you odor-free. They are comfortable. Tenna are the global leader and trusted expert for offering superior sustainable solutions that help manage urinary incontinence, leakage, and bladder weakness both day and night. I was looking at their products. They have liners. They have pads. They have underwear. They have briefs. I'm going to do some ordering because anyways, I won't get into it. But so if you want more information about what products they have, and they have a ton of information on their website, just about incontinence in general, you can go to www.tenna.ca and check out, yeah, their entire range of products. And this was a great way to spend your lunch hour. So thanks for coming (laughs) on and talking about incontinence. Anytime.